again to a novel evening. I'm Danny, also known as Blotted Ink Books, and for this episode, I'm going to be joined by Anna Mazzola, author of The Clockwork Girl. Uh, this is another Bookstagram favourite. Uh, firstly, it's got the most stunning cover. I mean, it's beautiful, and also. For me, I think this is a read that if you want a true winter read, you know, our nights are getting a lot darker, It's get, things are getting cosier, you know, if you're looking for something you can curl up with under a blanket, but also you don't want, you know, a sappy Christmas novel, this is kind of the one for you. Firstly, Paris. I mean, 18th century Paris. Do you want to read anything else other than stories set in 18th century Paris? And we've got, you know, missing children. We've got sinister experiments um you know it's a darker story than perhaps you might be expecting from the title so if you're looking for something that's a little bit darker has a little sprinkling of a sigh but it's also wintry this is the winter read for you i'm very very excited to chat with anna all about her novel see what she's working on next and delve into her novel evening so a huge hello to Anna. Hello. Hello. Lovely to meet you. And you. I know it's virtually, but lovely to meet you too. It's, <laughs> it's very we're surreal. all used to that these days. Oh, the world seems a much smaller place. It does. It does in a way. Although, you know, actually I did, I had a proper, because I give lots of trainings. I give legal trainings and I always give them on Zoom. But I had one in real life last week and it was actually so nice. So one day you and I will meet in real and we'll do a real podcast. Yeah. Oh my God. How much fun would that be? I love, um, is it Eliza Day, Elizabeth Day? She does her podcast recordings live. And I look at that and think, oh my God, how much fun would that be to be able to be on a stage chatting with someone someday? Touch wood. <laughs> yeah, no, that is, it's leading up to that. It's definitely it's... leading up. <laughs> Slowly but surely. I'm, I feel like I'm the tortoise in this race. <laughs> I'll get there. But thank you so, so much for, for coming to chat with me. Pleasure. So we're going uh, to have to dive straight in with the Clockwork Girl. Let's do it. Because, so... I've got a real thing about Paris in general. But then when you put in 18th century Paris, I'm already there. So before I've even read a book, <laughs> you've already got me. I'm your reader. Hooray. Tell me a bit about the story. So from the title, I think I expected kind of a nutcrackian story at first. Ooh. Yeah, just, I don't even know why, but I read the story. I said, oh, sounds like it's going to be kind of, a beautiful kind of fairy tale-esque story but actually it's a bit darker you've got some some slightly you know darker themes running through there you yeah know. I think you're right that there is a slight sort of fairy tale there is a slight fantasy element to it yeah, it is it is pretty dark it is because it's um the clockwork comes from the fact that it's about an automaton maker. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's partly, it, it was sort of a joining of two ideas I had really. So I knew I wanted to write a story about an automaton maker because I've always been fascinated by creepy moving dolls, essentially. Um, and I also, when I was doing the research about 18th century Paris, I came across this um, story about the vanishing children of Paris, which was a real phenomenon where children start going missing from the streets in 1750. So, yeah, the, the book is kind of a combination of crime, gothic weirdness and, yeah, a slight magical element. I, how did I not know about these vanishing children of Paris? This sounds like... 
it's not known it's not very well known about at all it's really I mean I'd read I'd read about it years ago in a review Hilary Mantel did for another book and she'd mentioned it then but I'd actually forgotten about it until I until I came across it again all these years later and yeah it is it's just not something that is very well known at all so um yeah don't don't worry about that it's not as if it's a common known fact I feel like I'm gonna fall down a rabbit hole after this recording I'm going to google this and just fall straight into the pit of like my true crime brain will come out oh my goodness and was it you know with the research that comes into you know these automatons how did you find that you kind of already interested you mentioned you like creepy moving dolls yeah I was yeah yeah I've always so I've always been sort of really interested in automata and that sort of uncanny sense that you have when you're looking at them that it's something that's real but that is not real um so yeah I just it was basically an excuse to go and look at a lot of weird stuff and read a lot of weird stuff and I got got to go to Paris before Covid and um, they have a really if you get the chance to go there do they have a a museum of magic and automata which is so creepy it's basically in a cellar it's these old waxworks and very dubious looking automata which was great fun and yes I did um huge amount of reading about them and sadly didn't see quite as many moving 18th century automata as I wanted to but I did see a few extraordinary ones in fact there was um the science museum a few years ago they had a fantastic exhibition about robots and that started with the 18th century because of course automata were really the first robots and some of the automata that inspired the novel were essentially the first computers um, in that you could program them and make them write things and do things in a way that hadn't been done before. So people did kind of see them as magic and even magical and even sort of satanic because they didn't understand how they worked. Oh my goodness. What was the purpose in having these as well? Was it just, you know, t- to test the limits of science or was there kind of a, a purpose in mind when they were doing that? I think mainly they were for entertainment. I mean, if you, I mean, they were extraordinarily expensive and they were made by clockmakers and people who made jewellery. So they were sort of the toys of the super rich, essentially. And they were often sort of taken around and showed to people. But, you know, if you had one of these things, then it was, uh, you know, the thing to show your friends. So really they were mainly to show people how clever and, and marvellous their owners were. That was really the purpose of them they weren't but but also at the same time they were advancing science and they were as I say essentially computers but yeah certainly the the automata that I'm talking about were made as toys for the rich essentially yeah oh it's such it's such an interesting world that I think I mean personally I can't speak for everybody but I know nothing about and as soon as you said about this creepy basement cellar (laughs) Parisian museum I'm like where is this where do I go to go and find this there's so many amazing amazingly weird things I mean people know about the the catacombs in Paris but there's all sorts of fascinating if you're interested in sort of dark tourism and the, the macabre then Paris is the place to go they've got all sorts of uh, medical museums and waxwork museums so yeah my husband thought he was going for a romantic weekend away and he was in fact just dragged around a load of cemeteries but you know oh do you know what that was my husband we went to Père Lachaise when we went and I was like there's somewhere I really want to take you and I think in his head I think bless his little heart he's probably like Disneyland or like you know somewhere romantic and I was like look at all these sepulchres, look at all these tombs as he's walking around like, oh my God. Took the picture with Victor Noir, obviously. You have of to course, go, of you course. You have to go and do that. You know, I was there kissing Oscar Wilde and my poor husband was just watching me like, I don't, what is happening here? 
Yeah, I got told off. I got told off in pairless chairs actually because I've got a, a thing that I often go. I go running around cemeteries, which admittedly is a slightly peculiar thing to do. But you know, if you want to combine a bit of exercise with uh, seeing interesting oh. things, so I did my usual, which is I ran to pairless chairs and then ran around it. But that isn't. You are not allowed to in France. I had men shouting at me, "Passport, passport," because it's seen as you know, disrespectful. So I had to just walk quickly between different things. But yeah, it's an astonishing, interesting place. It, it really is. And there is something about burials, about death. And, and it's such a, especially Padachés, that it's just an unreal place. When I tell people, oh, one of my favourite places to go is a cemetery, they look at you, but I'm like, the architecture and the range of, you know, tombs and mausoleums and, and the people oh, yeah, no, cemetery, I love a cemetery, a graveyard. Absolutely oh. fascinating. In fact, I was in Stirling for Bloody Scotland Festival a couple of weekends ago. And if you were ever in Stirling, do go to the um, cemetery there. It's really, really interesting. And I ha- while I was there, it happened to be some of the volunteers were there. So they showed me some of the most fascinating um, tombstones. I won't go, go into it too much, but they showed me one that had essentially sparked a riot because there had been... Um, the tomb had been robbed in the 19th century because of course grave robbers were at their business at that time and because the police had let the um, grave robbers go there was then a riot which meant that they had to find the men again and execute them so yeah really oh, interesting awkward isn't it uh, <laughs> I know we let you go but I'm really sorry <laughs> actually turns out we did the wrong thing. Well, can't do that actually so you need to come back with us so you've obviously in your book, you've woven a few different themes. You've know, you know, got crime, you've got some magic in there. How do you find kind of juggling all those elements? Because they're all kind of, they're quite formulaic, aren't they, these stories? You know, crime novels and you know, fantasy mm. magic novels and historical fiction. How do you find kind of weaving those together? Well, I sort of focus on the characters. That's got, it's got to be my, you know, the character arcs and making it a satisfying story. And then I just hope that I've included enough elements to keep the various readers of the genres happy. Because obviously for for it to be crime, it has to have a certain investigation element. um, And things have to be tied up at the end and there has to be the murderer, which, you know, there is in this book to a certain extent. But it's not, you know, it's not proper genre crime. It's not, you know, if you're expecting hard-boiled crime, it's not going to be that. And then um, obviously it's historical in that it's set in, in, in 18th century. But I'm not... You know, I'm not Hilary Mantel. I'm not writing straight historical either. Um, you know, my my thing is that I do sort of dark and slightly yeah. magical historical. Um, so you know, I can't keep everyone. You can't, you can't keep everyone. No. Happy. That's very <laughs> like, very um, true. As long uh, as people come to the, you know, the reception of the book has generally been good. So you yeah. know, as long as people come to it knowing what it is. Um, then they seem to be pretty happy with it. But, you know, there there are people who like their crime to be straight crime and they like their historical to be entirely based on fact and not to be messing about with it. And those people are not going to be. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the opportunity to surprise people, though, as well with that. Yeah. Because I think if someone picks up a book like that thinking, you know, crime, and actually like, oh, I, I didn't think I'd enjoy, you know, magic in my crime story. And yet here I am. That's the exciting thing when you're blending genres together is people discover something they love about a genre perhaps previously they'd be like oh I don't really do. Yeah but I had lots of people say to me Abe Mukherjee made me laugh because he was given my book to read and he said Anna I really didn't expect to like this book and I was like 
thanks. <laughs> but he loved it. He was really, really kind about it. He said it isn't the sort of book that he would normally pick up. And I've had a few people say this isn't the sort of book they would normally read, but they read it and really enjoyed it. So, you know, I, I ho- hopefully I have broadened people's reading a little, but um, I'm sure there are people who haven't spoken to me who were like, what is this? Anyway. And obviously 18th century Paris is... I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with the time. I'm obsessed with the time period. What drew you to that setting? Well, it had... So, because I knew I wanted to write about an automaton maker, um, and 18th century was also was the golden age for automaton making, it had to be one of the centres of excellence. So that meant really that it was Germany or France. Yeah. Um, and I love Germany, but I don't speak German. And basically the excuse to set a novel in Paris seemed too good an opportunity to pass up. You know, it's a fascinating place. Um, And I knew I was going to have to do a lot of the research in, you know, the original language. So it just made it a lot simpler for it to be France. So, but then obviously as soon as I started properly getting into the research, I realised that, you know, Paris in the 18th century was the most extraordinary and sort of squalid and luxurious place. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. Almost such extremes, wasn't it? Such extremes of, at the time, just just unbelievable. And I'm going to ask you, what comes next for you? Are you working on something? Have you got something written? What's what's next? Yeah, so I've got so I've ended up basically with four novels to write, which is not a, not <laughs> not something <laughs> I would necessarily recommend. But it is, you know, I am lucky in a way to have so many books in contract. So my my next book um comes out in April next year and that's called the house of whispers and that's um a historical ghost story essentially set in 1930s italy so it's sort of the rise of fascism and uh dark doings in rome so that's we're doing the cover reel for that on halloween which is exciting so that's the next one and then i'm also writing my next historical one after that which is also rome but going back to the 17th century and that's based on another real case because i often base my stories on real cases that's based on a case of a group of women who were prosecuted for poisoning um in the in yeah in 1659 so that's i'm having great fun with that at the moment but what i'm also doing is i've um I've just got a contract to write two legal thrillers. So as under the name Anna Sharp. So the first of those, The Inner Circle, will be out in 2024. So I'm kind of having fun or <laughs> maybe a mental breakdown alternating <laughs> between, uh, yes. It's a really fine line, isn't it, between fun and yes. mental breakdown? <laughs> when you're walking. No, it's, it's good. I think it's good. I'm the sort of person who likes to have a lot of different things on the go at one time. So, you know, it's a, good, it's a good problem to have. But, you know, I mean, like you, I also have little people. So it's yes. half term maybe might be complicated. Yes, little people. I mean, they just complicate everything, don't they? But I mean, <laughs> congratulations, because that's absolutely incredible. And, you know, in terms of, so you've got, you know, legal thrillers and you've still got your historical, darker, mm. you know, fiction. Is it kind of hard to swap hats or do you kind of exclusively write one genre and then go? Well, to to be honest, I'm working it out as I go, but I think, yes, I do find it quite hard to swap hats. And the way I'm doing it now, I don't know whether this is right, is I'm basically trying to get the first draft of my historical novel finished before I return to my legal one, because I fear that if I chop and change too quickly between the two, I'll get very confused. And I like to, when I'm certainly when I'm writing historical, I like to completely immerse myself in the era and, um, you know, everything I read will be to do with that. So I think it's probably best that I try and get the first draft down and then move to 
current times. That's very exciting. I guess with a legal thriller, you know, you've got to have some twists and turns and you want to be, you know, on track when you're writing those twisty Exactly, yeah, I need to think, I mean, I've already written about two thirds of it, but I need to finish it and I need to make it, yeah, it needs to be very tight, it needs to be good, so. Yeah, um, you don't want to get to the end and realise you've actually forgotten who the murderer is from the beginning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this one isn't murder, this one is, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is, it's it's bad, bad things. Ooh. Bad things, and someone does bad. die, but the, it's not, it's not um, strictly a... It's not strictly a murder story. Well, I like a teaser. I like a teaser to a plot, but that's extremely exciting. You obviously have a very, very busy year ahead of you. Um, Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. And I feel like on that note, I have no idea now what to expect of your novel evening Um, because you are a lady of many hats. So I feel like anything could crop up here. So I think we should start with where are we going to go for your evening? Well, I'm afraid it's not very unpredictable because we are, in fact, going back to Versailles. We are going to 18th century Versailles because I spent so much time researching it that I feel like I deserve to go there. Oh um, I have and- no I have no qualms. That, oh, I, I feel like I was born to live somewhere like Versailles, <laughs> if I'm honest with you. They just <laughs> my bank account just didn't know it. <laughs> but I feel like I was made for that environment so no arguments at all (laughs) come on in oh I I think it's just and I'm assuming we're going for a nighttime in Versailles kind of vibe we are going to a masked ball um in the very because that was how so the, the clockwork girl is um has three main characters one of whom is Madame de Pompadour who is the most famous mistress of Louis the 15th and they in fact met at a masked ball where he was dressed as a yew tree um which apparently was sexy so <laughs> we're going to have a masked ball we're all going to be dressed to the nines in exquisite um costumes that will be bedecked with diamonds and rubies and various other jewels um and we will be eating stuffed pheasant turtles um, there will be various pyramids of candy, candied fruit, possibly some edible sugar sculptures. Um, various people will have their pets with them on ribbons. People would have goats and rabbits that would just hop alongside them. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be great fun. Do you know what a ball, you know, I feel like balls are lacking animal feces just they are exactly exactly. well Versailles was covered in feces at the best of times it was like because there weren't enough toilets um and people couldn't be bothered they would just sort of you know wee against the tapestry or poo poo in a golden pot so there was a lot of feces going on at Versailles anyway but um yeah mix some animal feces and I feel like Um, as the king you know the king making a yew tree sexy who's gonna tell him that it's not do you mean yeah I mean probably I think having seen pictures, I think he probably was quite sexy, but I don't generally find trees attractive. No, not you. He must have had good legs. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing, I'm kind of imagining just very sort of, you know, the, the, the breeches, whatever they would have called them then, sort of a deep green and maybe a wood-styled, you know, yeah. coat, maybe some kind of head sculpture. I like seeing Sadly, it sadly no photos exist, so we can only sadly imagine not. what a sexy king in a, dressed as a yew tree looks like. I'd love to know what Madame Pompadour was wearing. What was she? She was, I think she, I'm trying to remember, I think she was a yellow bird. I think she was, um, she often wore yellow, and I think she was some kind of exotic yellow bird, um, but with her, you know, boobs pushed up on full yeah. display. And yeah, I mean, she was, a, by all accounts, an astonishingly beautiful and witty and, and, um, very clever woman who essentially ended up as his political advisor. But yeah, she started off as a yellow bird. 
Oh, there would have been some comment about perching on a tree, wouldn't there? There would have been. Yeah, it there was, would have been. There would have been some, yeah. Okay. I'm excited for a mask ball. I've never been to one, uh, certainly not in this setting. So this sounds fantastic. Um, pure, pure indulgence and luxury. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, also, there are all sorts of shenanigans would have been going on because the, the mask balls that at Versailles were basically how people got in who wouldn't normally get in because they didn't you i mean you could in in general go to versailles but obviously you wouldn't normally be let in unless you were a noble but if you came to a masked ball in costume then who's going to question who you are so everyone would um turn up invited or not and then there would be lots of you know intrigue yeah yeah oh okay okay i'm feeling the vibes of this one this is good yeah. okay <laughs> who is your first guest my first guess, well, I'm going to be a bit cheeky. I'm going to, um, so Madame de Pompadour is already there and Louis XV is already there. Um, but I'm actually going to use people who weren't alive at the same time. So I reckon we should invite Marie Antoinette. I know she's not allowed until later, but I reckon, I know she's been much maligned by history, but I think she'd be good fun at a masked ball. I think she was very much, uh, wrongly or rightly, my opinion is she was the victim of a smear campaign. Oh, she massively was because, yeah, she she sort of she came to represent everything that was bad about um, the royalty and 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 nobility. And I mean, who knows what she was really like? But from what I've read about her, she was quite sweet and probably didn't really understand quite what her various purchases would be represented as. And then, you know, there were horrendous things said about her. Um, in sort of the broadsheets of the time, making out that she was constantly involved in orgies and all sorts of things that she wasn't. So I reckon that's an inviter into the party. Yeah. Also, who could blame her if she was? Ah, absolutely. You know, I'm a very big fan. I have a very large portrait of Marie Antoinette tattooed on me, actually. I'm a very... I do. I I have Anne Boleyn and Marie Antoinette on my legs. I'm a very big fan of those much maligned beheaded queens. Why don't we bring in Anne Boleyn as well? Can you imagine? She loved a French She deserves a party, doesn't she? Yeah, she spoke French. You know, she'd do wonderful. Right, she grew up in the French court, oui, oui, bonjour, as they say in six. So, um, yeah, definitely. Why don't I do my Anne as well? I don't know how Madame de Pompadour is going to uh, to take to this. She she might see her as a bit of a rival, but in fact, Madame de Pompadour, later in, sort of, she basically, after a while, Louis XV had quite an appetite, let's say. And in her later years, she actually ended up employing various other girls yes um, that I... up. so you know she might Sorry, it's got a bit smutty this episode it has. it's fine with me that's but it's really interesting as well because you see madame de pompadour you know and that is the survival because you yeah. don't want rivals when you're the mistress of the queen so the king sorry so you're gonna take on people and you're going to be in control of that. I think exactly. That's why, she, yeah, she didn't want she didn't want anyone who was going to usurp her position. But it was fine for her to have these young girls who could just he who he would sleep with and then sort of marry off elsewhere. But that was this, you know, from what I've read, that was essentially yeah. what she did. Well, there she was, was rumours, wasn't there, that Anne Boleyn did similarly in that she encouraged the king to sleep with her, yeah, her sister, yes. and then later her cousin yeah. when their marriage was on the rock. Yeah. So it was like, oh, here's my cousin, the family, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So we've got the two the two queens have arrived to yeah. set the cat amongst the pigeons. Who's next? Uh, well, I'm also going to have a few his, um, historical fiction figures. Okay. 
I'm going to have, I don't know if you've read Rose Tremaine's Merivale. I have not. He, that is absolutely fantastic book that you need to read. That um, Yeah, so I love her Merivale books. And he was a physician and courtier to Charles II. He does actually visit, visit Versailles, um, Louis XIV's Versailles in the book. And he's very funny and he's a brilliant character. And I think he'd... Um, he'd be great fun at a party as well. And I also want um, the storyteller from Kate Forsyth's Bitter Greens, uh, Charlotte Rose de la Force. And it, she's a fantastic storyteller and also a great party goer. And then the book, she's exiled from Versailles. So I'd like to invite her back in. Ooh. Oh, you're, you're saying some dramas here as well. You're inviting her back in. You've got- I'm inviting her back in, yeah. Okay. Okay, I like and I like you're thinking of people who'd be good at a party because that's yeah, very important. What? It is important, and that for that reason, and also just because I think they'd be very interesting. I'd have Hilary Mantel's version of the main architect of the French Revolution because that would certainly mix it up in the palace, wouldn't it? So, sure, shot Jack Danton, the ambitious and ugly lawyer, and then Maximilien Robespierre and the brilliant Camille Desmoulins and his beautiful wife Lucille. I think let's get them all there. That would certainly spark a few debates, if not fights. That's oh, maybe you never know. Maybe Anne would work her wiles to try and win them over. You know, I could see. Okay, okay, go. Cool. That's that's especially when the drink gets flowing as well. Because I imagine it was you know it's not gonna be a sober evening. Yeah, <laughs> and why not? Why not the Marquis de Sade as well? Although if he starts misbehaving, we might have to put him in the dungeons. Does he know any other way than to misbehave? No, you're right. He doesn't. <laughs> but again, interesting conversation. He's an interesting fellow. Um, to put it mildly, okay, okay. They this is quite a um a rose a gallery, isn't it? It's yeah. And Voltaire, we might as well have Voltaire there as well. Yes, yeah, sod it. Voltaire as well. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine Voltaire and Anne Boleyn having a conversation? Oh my gosh, yeah, that would be yeah. Rose I mean, he was quite annoyed. Anne, she'd put him in his place. She'd put him in his place. Oh, wouldn't she just? You know, Robespierre meeting, uh, you know, Marie Antoinette. <laughs> slightly awkward do you have anyone else that you want there those I mean those are the only people I could immediately think of but you know feel free to invite people I mean it's it's quite a gathering isn't it do you know who I would love to see as well would be Catherine de Medici would be oh yes yeah yeah because her and Anne I feel like there would be some clashing I feel like with all of them yeah totally interesting okay Catherine de Medici as well we'll set her in there yeah okay gorgeous that's who I'm reading about at the moment who's that Borgias. Oh, I mean, I mean, if you really want to get a party going, just invite the whole family. Exactly, exactly. You know, they're again very interesting to read about. Um, and again, what is what is truth and what is fiction? Because these families have become all of them, really, all the guests you've got have become such figures of like notoriety. Well, exactly. They've become their own myths, really, haven't they? They've all they're all characters who have sort of inspired so many stories and so many novels. Um, yeah. Imagine if they're just all really boring. If we got them all in the room and they're all just a bit like <laughs> like well, definitely not. The only one who might be a bit I think I think Robespierre is probably a bit quiet. I think and still until he starts killing people, I think he'd probably <laughs> be a bit dull at parties. <laughs> Um, but everyone else, I think, would be a hoot. Oh, Rose Pierre, he's, he's, he's not fun unless he's murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> it's all he wants, really, in life. Ooh. I mean, it's you've gone for an evening that is sounds a lot of fun, beautiful setting, but you've not held back on some dramas. 
No. Oh, I should have explained because because you have you been to Versailles? I have been to Versailles. And you've um, seen the extraordinary gardens of Versailles, which for a party would be all be bedecked with lights and flowers and silks. It I looks mean, never ending, doesn't it? When you stand on kind of the when you step out of the doors. It's like you can't see the end of the gardens. You can't, and they did, and they did have the most extraordinary parties there. And you can just imagine that you know there would be some antics, wouldn't there? Oh, the wouldn't various, different, various different fountains and the orangery. Yeah, but it's very much it's very much a garden that is designed firstly for pleasures, but yeah. also it's very much designed with the idea of like young lovers being able to go off in little. You know, there's little secluded areas and little seating areas or oh, hidden, absolutely. isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The place for trysts, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perhaps I'll look at Voltaire a little differently by the end of the evening. You never know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I kind of, what is it? Was he handsome? I don't think he was. Obviously, let me look up a portrait of him. Oh, I can't no. find it now. But oh, I guess it's the dark. It... <laughs> I, you know, was anybody actually handsome? Because we're looking at them from our standards now, mm. you know, and people didn't really have their own teeth and things then. So it's a bit, oh, mm. well, they did. I, it's, it's interesting you should say that because I was talking to someone about this idea that we have that people were extremely stinky and disgusting in the 18th century. And I mean, to a certain extent, they were in that they didn't wash nearly as much as we do. But in fact, they, they didn't did have deodorants like we do, you know. They didn't they... have deodorant, but they did have powder and they had ways of, you know, I was reading about they'd rub their teeth with rosemary and vinegar. And so there were various ways of of making yourself smell less revolting. But yeah, certainly by our standards today. Oh, it's a nice face, Voltaire. Well, Voltaire. Was... I think it's bad. I mean, it's a bit too much hair for my liking, but that was the 18th century, wasn't it? They liked a wig. The wigs were quite upsetting, weren't they? That for me. Yeah. Is, is look up while you're look up Robespierre. There's a portrait of Robespierre which suggests he's quite hot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> I'm known for being quite thirsty anyway. Oh, in, right, okay. In, in real life terms. So I might as well just take it historical. As I say, Louis the 15th certainly was, I think, quite a handsome man. Um, I mean, if the- <laughs> I'm giving you quite a few options here. <laughs> you found Robespierre, is he not hot? Oh my God, that's horrific. Okay, maybe not him. Not Robespierre. Maybe there was a reason he was, I mean, this is a, a mock-up based, <laughs> based on mapping his, his skeleton. Um, That's not, it's not handsome, not handsome. But I don't know if you've read um, A Place of Greater Safety by Hilary. Yeah, that's the one I haven't. I almost bought it the other day as well. And I wish I had. It's absolutely brilliant. But she does make out that um, that all of those guys, like Camille Camille Desmoulins is very handsome. And um, and Danton is ugly, but really sexy. And everyone wants to have sex with him. Like the Rochester effect, you know. Yes, the Rochester effect. Hard face, but kind of. Mm. I think mm. Robespierre. I mean, there's probably a reason he was. He maybe he was just very angry. I mean, Louis the Louis the Fifteenth, not bad, huh? But you're not going to get near him because you know Pompadour is there. Yeah, that's true. She's going to be keeping a close eye. Yeah, maybe and... we need a few other hotties. Yeah, historically, I'm. <laughs> You know what, young Henry VIII, it's very sad what happened to Henry VIII. Oh. Like young Henry, before he got warped and whatever happened to him happened, I think he was probably pretty hot. I'm not going to go anywhere near Henry VIII, even in his younger days. I think it would be dangerous. No, I like a slice of danger. I'm willing to take on young Henry. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I think 
it's so funny, isn't it? Because you have no idea what Kings actually looks like, or you yeah. just have, you know, these fawning, fawning letters. I love how our conversation has just morphed into who was hot in history. <laughs> the most important <laughs> question of all. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm imagining, I have to imagine Henry is like the Damien Lewis in Wolf Hall. But I yeah. have to keep that imagery yeah. close to me. Um, saying anything beyond that is quite upsetting. Yeah. But my, uh, the one question, steering away from hot hot men of history, which I feel is a podcast in itself that needs to be it really created. Is. It really Although it needs, really needs to be visual, doesn't it? We really <laughs> need to share our photo. I honestly have seen a hot portrait of Robespierre. I'm going to find it and send it to you. You're like, I can't. You're like, I'm not taking you it. I, I maintain that, that, that there was... Anyway, sorry, carry on. Somewhere yeah. there's a hot yeah. picture of Robespierre. It just isn't on my phone. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming your husband is not an attractive chap. He's got yeah, a very long white wig and um, he just loves the long legs and tight toes. <laughs> he loves those shoes that curl up at the ends, you exactly. know, the narrow ones. That's right. Is there anyone who you yeah. really don't want to arrive at your party? Other than well, I think basically anyone with a spike with a head on it, clamoring for our heads to be cut off, I'm going to keep outside. <laughs> the mobs of Paris. The mobs of Paris. The mobs of Paris who want to cut our heads off. I'm going to keep them out. I think that's everyone fair. else everyone else can come in, really. That's fair. Do you know, I always think so. When I was in Versailles and I looked at those gardens, how terrifying it must have been. You know, I, because you think, you know, you've got these huge expanses around it and people could really come from anywhere at you. It's quite terrifying. When I imagined as well, like the front courtyard filled with like, baying mobs oh yeah it must have been and because that's how that's what happened to Marie Antoinette she looked out the window and there was her friend what's her name Princess de Lamballe (laughs) because it was just her head on a spike so um yeah I mean it must have been a pretty scary experience they weren't very nice to her were they poor Princess de de Lamballe she did not do well our proceedings didn't do well no you know they were pretty they were pretty pissed off by that stage they'd been you know starving for rather a long time so in a way fair enough yeah, but for just for one night only, if they could just if they could just that. while we're having the, the the party with the historical hotties, if they could just stay out, <laughs> I'm sure they would understand if we spoke with them and explained the situation. Exactly, explained the situation. I don't get out much. I'm a certain type. Anyway, yes, <laughs> we're mothers. We it really is. need this. <laughs> this is what we need. <laughs> one night only. We just need this. Yeah. Rose Pierre is waiting for me. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, I wholeheartedly approve of your evening. It's a gold star from me. That's the (laughs) highest accolade I could offer you. Um, Because that to me, I mean, Versailles is just, I've only been once and I would love to go again because there's something about it that is just, it's the most absurd place in terms of scale and it's just it's it it's bananas. Did you go to the mistress's apartments when you went? No, no I do okay. not. Next well, time you went. go, if you go, book a tour of the mistress's apartments so you can go and see the apartments where Pompadour and Madame de Barry and Co. all live. It's really interesting. But my poor husband, I said I was booking this tour, and he said he wanted to come, and I said, "Well, are you sure? Because it's in French, and he doesn't speak French." And he said, "Sure." And it was supposed to be an hour, and it actually lasted over two hours. And at the beginning, I was like translating for him, and then after a while, he said, "Anna, I don't care." <laughs> <laughs> they may go on for some time but it is very interesting and it was basically the first the first lift because louis couldn't be bothered to um climb up the stairs for his sex so he had a a, a lift made for him let's face it 
that takes a lot of energy before you've begun. Exactly. So, exactly. But a sex lift. Everybody sex needs lift. one. I yeah. mean, my it's poor true. husband literally just got a tour of like Pigal when we went. And I was like, yeah. let's, go, let's go to Pigal. Um, we had a very, he, he would absolutely kill me if you knew I was mentioning it, but he won't listen to this. We, uh, yeah. My husband got stuck in one of the electronic toilets in Paris. Oh, no. Yeah. So he went into the toilet and the uh-huh. door closed and then it immediately opened again. And then uh-huh. it did that thing as it closed again. And then as it opened, me and this very lovely Japanese, French, elderly man next to me and some tourists Mm. greeted by the sight of my husband peeing in the sink because (laughs) the door had reopened. The toilet had gone up into the wall, at which point, you know, the toilets flash because they're like, it's going to clean. Yeah. The toilet starts flashing and the door starts very slowly (laughs) closing on my husband who's still weeing in the sink. And I had to wedge my body. We're literally in like the sex district of Paris, like sex drome <laughs> all around us. I wedged my body inside the door. Yeah. It was the longest week anyone's ever known. And this this lovely Japanese French one was yelling in my ear. I imagine yeah. trying to tell me yeah. to get, either get out or that the toilet was going to clean. Yeah. Um. And so I managed eventually dragged my husband out. The door has now broken. Is just doing this back and forth. Yeah. So none of these people queuing can use the toilet because yeah. they destroyed it. And he then sprinted to the metro station with his trousers completely undone mm-hmm. to escape the, you know, the baying mob of Pigal <laughs> that was ready to uh, put our heads on sticks for breaking the closest toilet for like miles. It was very romantic. Yeah, it's very romantic. Similarly romantic. Yes, my trip. Your husband but- got off very lightly with his two hour in French tour. Exactly. You're right. You're right. You can tell him that next him. time. I will. <laughs> Next time you go and you subject him to a very long tour in a foreign language. I think he won't come with me next time. He'll be elsewhere. I love it. And are you going to Rome as well? Are you going to get to go to Rome for your writing? Yeah, absolutely. So I I have been to Rome relatively recently because my next book that's coming out is set in Rome, but I clearly need to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll be going for a, another few weekends in Rome to at least eat a lot of food, um, thus you know imbibing the sense of Rome yeah Yeah, that's the plan that's the plan and I might actually have to go and read a lot of documents in 17th century Italian which might be less fun Um, um, (laughs) sorry so much glamour so much glamour so much glamour but no it's been I'm at yeah I'm at that part that stage of writing a book where it's really really exciting and it'll wear off but at the moment (laughs) I need if I ever write a book I need to not set it in the UK just so I can I really need to go to Greece France I was was talking to I was asking Jane Harris a while ago why she set a book in Granada and she said well I wanted to go there on holiday and I thought well of course that's a perfect legitimate reason (laughs) so yeah it's, it's excellent and I'm assuming as well that in between your your much writing you're doing you've been doing some reading as well and can I ask if you're reading anything at the moment I'm always reading, as I'm sure are you. I'm so I'm currently, unsurprisingly, in a Renaissance Italy in 17th century mm-hmm. Italy binge phase. So I have been reading um, the Sarah Dunant books. I don't know if you've read them. They're no. so good. I can't believe I I can't believe I hadn't read her before. She is a genius. She's so good. So um, I've been reading the. Um, the Borgia books, hence me talking about the yeah. Borgias, uh, which. Uh, in fact I've read them in the wrong order I've been I read the um in the name of the family first and now I'm reading blood and beauty and I've also read in the company of the courtesan which is about this famous 
a prostitute called Fiametta in in 16th century Italy. Um, and they, yeah, they're just absolutely brilliant. They really are just so good at evoking the time um, and the place. They're really exquisite. And I've also just started a book about Artemisia Gentileschi, by someone oh. up here yeah you know about artemisia yeah. oh my god what a woman what a woman incredible in fact i don't know if you know elizabeth Fremantle, but her next book is about artemisia which i can't wait for yeah. that's very exciting i think that's next year so yes i'm in uh, yeah i'm i'm in renaissance italy state um said blood and beauty and i'm pretty sure i own that and haven't read it yet i'm sure it's here that's my very small then you'll have to read it you will have to read it it's really interesting um but also makes out that Cesare Borgia was another hottie. I can believe or at least that. he was before he got the pox. Yes, <laughs> the French pox, he gets rather scarred. But certainly the beginning, he's a very beautiful boy. I mean, are there, are there many unattractive Italian men, to be fair? I mean, yes, there are. <laughs> I've had someone who spent quite a lot of time in Italy. I can confirm that there are. But there are also some exquisitely handsome uh, Italian men. I Damian feel like Cesare probably was. It sounds as well like he very much had the arrogance as well to kind of back up. If he wasn't, you know, hundred percent hot, I think he had the attitude. Yeah, he was a very, very arrogant, was. very arrogant. Unfortunately, evil also, um, which is a slight turn off. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I also having sex with his sister also slight. You know, yeah, maybe I can't forgive that part. Yeah, yeah, that's less less acceptable, isn't it? <laughs> It it is. I do draw a line. Yeah, there comes a point where I said, look, you're hot, but there's some stuff going on with your sister. You know, I just don't want to be a part of Jamie Lannister is a prime example. He's yeah, gorgeous, exactly. But you don't want to get involved with that. No, don't want to well, stay away. Stay away. This is well, you know, again, it's a period of history I love to read about because it's so full of scandal. It's it's just, I mean, it's an interesting, you know, art and beauty. There's art, beauty, poisoning. It's yes, it's mm. absolutely fascinating period of history. Yeah. And so much of the church as well is involved here. You know, like it's it's always the Pope is always involved during that time. It's always the Pope. Well, yes, because that was the, you know, the yeah, papal Rome. It was the Pope who had all the power, and you know, obviously the Borgias are a good example of what happens when that power becomes corrupt. So yeah, very. Yeah, interesting. And I very naively always thought that the Pope even back then was completely celibate so it was quite a shock for me oh, no. and realized that that was absolutely not the case no in fact um blood and beauty is it starts and it's all about julia farnese who is this very beautiful and very young woman who was the mistress of um of of, of the pope and who you know did come to official functions with him it wasn't even really hidden thing yeah oh, that's so interesting isn't it well, thank mm. you very very much this has been a roller coaster experience, I have to say. Um, a 10 out of 10, completely. This oh, is no, it's been great fun. I'm sorry, I've spoken about sex more than I normally would. I don't know, I blame you. Uh, most people probably would, if I were yeah. to. That's why I have to record my own session at some point. I need to record my evening. And I like to think it'll be really highbrow, and I know it'll just be all the hot people from books. I think that's, I think that's what people want to see, certainly. If you're going to have one night with fictional characters, I want to make it worth it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you so, so much. This has been an absolute joy. No, oh, it's been really lovely to speak to you. I've had great fun. Thank you so much for inviting me.